Hi, I'm Sabrina Soto. I believe the best conversations are with friends who are really able to open themselves up and share their lives, both the good parts and the bad. You're going to be listening to some of those candid conversations and hopefully gaining some insight to help you redesign your life from the inside out. Hey, everyone. So this week's guest is Natasha Adamo. She has had a blog for years that I absolutely love, and she just came out with her first book called Win Your Breakup, How to Be the One That Got Away. But this book isn't just about breakups. Really, there's so much good information about how to get anyone or any habit out of your life that is toxic and We all have those people and things in our life that we need to reevaluate. We talked about boundaries. We talked about toxicity and really the guilt that also comes from creating boundaries. It was such a great conversation. So let's get it started. First of all, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I love you. I love everything you do. And, um, this is really special. I'm excited about it. And it, you know, I haven't yet done an interview where I'm talking to someone that's actually read the book. So this is really fun for me. Read the book. First of all, <laughs> when Dean saw that I was reading this book, he's like, do you want to talk to me about something? <laughs> for anyone that's listening, the book's called Win Your Breakup. And it is so fabulous. I have so many notes that I took while I was reading it that I'm probably like, just excuse me, everyone who's listening, because I might be all over the place, but it's because there's so many nuggets of good information in this book. And I also want to say for all of my listeners, this isn't just for somebody who's going through a breakup. This is for anyone who's in a toxic relationship, whether it be with an ex, a family member, somebody at your work. There's so much takeaway in this book, Natasha. So bravo. Thank you so much. Yeah. You know, I, I, when you try to please everyone, you please no one. So I made it very specific. I wrote it in the context of a romantic relationship, a breakup. But as you said, it can be applied to anything, even a bad habit, um, a substance, anything like that. Anything that's you know has a chokehold on you that you want to break free from and win without reducing anything to a game or having to be some carrot dangling tactician. Absolutely. And I think what's so great about how you wrote the book is that You know, I think anyone who would see you and look at you at social media, you're gorgeous. You have an amazing relationship. You are pregnant. You're going to have your daughter, which congratulations. Thank you. So you're like, oh, she's got a perfect life. But if you read the book and you are so vulnerable and honest about the stuff that you've been through as well. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I put it out there all the time. Social media, it's it's a highlight reel, whether it's all the good highlights that are just, they look so perfect. Or, you know, I see a lot of people that really gratuitously share um, some very real stuff. And that's great. But um, I, you know, I try to do it in a non-gratuitous way and just let people know, you know, I, um, my business and what I do did not get to the point that it is, not that it's at some insane point, but it didn't get to the point that it is by me acting like I have all the answers and have it figured out and don't have a problem. I am highly fallible. I am. <laughs> I still feel insecure and scared, and I still... Um, you know, I doubt myself. I catch myself self-sabotaging myself. The only difference is, you know, I found a way to not let it permeate to the point of paralysis and I'm able to talk about it. And 
I found a way to not let it basically hijack my life. But yeah, I've been incredibly toxic, incredibly narcissistic. And I think I write about it to to the level that I do because I know the source so well. Right. I was introduced to you through your blog because I was in my own toxic relationship years ago. Uh, I, I thought it I think it was, or not, why would I even say think? I know it was a trauma bond. And mm-hmm. I had read your blog and then got in contact with you. And your advice was so spot on. And it's in this book. I know you don't really take private clients anymore, but I urge anyone who's going through a similar toxic relationship, and we've all been there. And if you haven't been there, bravo, because they're awful. They're just horrible. It's like kicking an uh, an addiction to something. Like It's just the worst situation to be in. And you kind of go through how to sort of deprogram yourself out of this thinking. Yeah, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter what gender, what sexual orientation, what type of relationship it is. There are common denominators when you are, when you find yourself um, in a relationship with someone who is toxic. And, you know, you'll start looking at yourself differently. You'll start feeling different. You feel a little glitchy. You feel like you're too much. You're not enough. You're this, you're that. And, you know, ultimately like attracts like. Now I'm not saying this so anyone listening feels terrible about themselves, but you know, I used to be very, very attracted to super, I guess you could classify them as narcissistic, selfish people. Okay. And, um, I, I would make all of their selfish, hurtful behavior about how I somehow needed to be better, how I somehow wasn't enough. And however you slice it, however you dice it, that was me making everything about me just in an inverted way um, in opposition to what my partner was doing. It was like same T-shirt just turned inside out. And so, yeah, there's a lot of common denominators. And I just, this book has nothing to do with me. I just wanted to get into the hands of as many people who need it as possible and help them um, become attracted to what is healthy for them and what nourishes them, not what depletes them so they can just continue to be on just this like performance mode. Right. And that's, I think, the cycle that you get into when you're in this sort of relationship because, and you spoke about this in the last half of the book of you, what you tolerate you know, is, is you have shame about, and then it kind of gets you in the cycles. Like you feel bad that you're tolerating this crap and then you just keep going and going and trying. And you're like reaching for their acceptance, their, you know, attention. And it's this awful cycle that you can't get out of until you finally realize enough is enough. Definitely, you know, definitely. And it's, um, there's so much emphasis now, especially on, you know, don't feel um, spiteful feelings. That's not good. You got to mantra it away. You got to affirmation it out. Don't, you know, wish ill on anyone. Um, you know, I have a colleague who's absolutely incredible. And this person says, when you break up and you're hurting, just wish your ex well, move on in peace. I love that idea. I just can't adhere to it. It's very hard for me. When someone has proven that I have invested everything I have in a Ponzi scheme, a relational Ponzi scheme, I am going to feel spiteful. 
I'm going to feel like I want revenge. I'm going to feel like I want them to feel one fraction of an iota of what they put me through. And you know what? I don't want to feel ashamed for it. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to create was what I kind of say, like a dignified Machiavellian playbook on how to get that revenge, how to get people that screwed you over and hurt you um, to feel just an, an ounce of what they put you through and how to walk away without needing closure from anyone because you are a self-subsistence emotional farm running on your own without having to disembark from your dignity or your kindness or your standards or hu your humanity or any of that or turning it into a game. You know, I see all these things like, well, don't text for the first 30 days and right. no contact. And You know, it, it's it's not about that. It's, it's about becoming a dynamic character in your life and commanding a level of respect that, um, you didn't think was even possible for you. And yeah, it takes some, it takes some steps and it takes some openness, but once you get there, I mean, there's no going back because life is so much easier. It's so much more enjoyable and peaceful. Absolutely. I, you also talk a lot about boundaries and looking back, I realize how much, how many problems really in my own life were stemmed from not having enough boundaries and the people that surrounded me, whether it be friends or family members. And you you talk a lot about that. And I think that's what's most important is creating boundaries about your self-worth. And once you start chipping away at those and letting people get away with things, it's like a slippery slope. So how did you sort of in your own life or how can you, what can you say to somebody who's sort of dealing with creating these boundaries and then not feeling that guilt that comes after somebody when you do create the boundary sort of puts you down because they've been able to really live boundary free in your life. That's a fantastic question. You know, um, it, it, it just kills me when I see seminars, when I see workshops, when I see all these things that people spend all this money for to implement boundaries, you know, boundaries, just like cough and a runny nose is a symptom of a cold. Boundaries are a symptom. That's all they are of a recognition of value. Standards are the criteria that need to be met in order for that value to be accessed. Um, you know, if you, if there's a really great establishment, let's just say like a private club, um, the club has created value. They have certain standards that need to be met in order for you to enter the club. And, you know, I mean, just listening to this podcast, for anyone that's listening to it, you have on some level recognized your value. You're still listening to it. You know, you get up out of bed, you brush your teeth. That, uh, that on some level is a recognition of value. And you have to believe that as a human being on planet Earth, you have a level of value. You have value. I am sure as terrible as anyone listening to this may be feeling right now about themselves, I don't feel completely perfect about myself right now. There's a lot of things that get me down, but there are certain things that I can tell you there's absolutely no way I'd put up with. Mm -hmm. No way. And they're really like crazy things, of course, but you know, you got to get more into the, we, we get so scared. We don't want to draw a hard line at behavior that, you know, people just keep getting away with and getting away with and getting away with. So, you know, if anyone gets mad at you for you recognizing your value in a healthy, kind, communicative and dignified way, screw them. Yeah. You know, um, you just need to communicate one time, Hey, ouch, 
you know, that's not cool. And if they bust them again, you're done. The boundary is non-negotiable. There's no special, you know, passes that certain people get just because you have a biological connection or you have a long standing history with the person. And it's not about being some, you know, I'm not into this kind of like emotional drill sergeantry. I'm not into that. I'm very, I'm very kind in my honesty. I'm, I try not to be brutal. I try not to be so tough and sharp like that. You know, it's it's just about being a kind person to yourself first and foremost. Absolutely. Um, because then you're going to attract more people who are kind to themselves, which they can be kind to you and you can have functional relationships. But yeah, as far as boundaries go, I mean, as long as you don't recognize your value, you will either be too aggressive in delivering them, too passive, or if you get it right on the nose, you're going to feel an incredible amount of guilt. Yes. Yes. So, I have, I deal with that as well. But it does have, you, you talked about this too, about you, you made it, it wasn't a joke, but I laughed when you said it in the book of, I don't care how many things they do for their grandma, like how great they are to everybody else. It's, and I had somebody in my life that was so great to everybody else that, and they weren't great to me that I'm just like, is it me? And then when I would do the boundaries and I, they would make me feel guilty, I would think about all the beautiful things they did for everybody else and then how great they were. And then I'm like, maybe I am a bad person, but no, like that's the trap. Well, that is the trap, you know, and it's it's triangulatory on their part. And it's also, you know, there a lot of this is so self-serving, you know, things they do for other people. And um, I by no means I'm probably going to, um, you know, overstep a line of political correctness and how I'm delivering what I'm about to say. But please know where my heart is and no disrespect to any community whatsoever. However, you know, if if my let's just say parent was paraplegic and they were in a wheelchair. I would not tie my value as a daughter for coming to them in a running suit and running shoes and them not being able to run or walk with me. And even if I saw them walk with other people, which would break my heart because all I'd want to do is walk with them. I need to get to a point where I accept and I understand that if they are quote unquote, walking, walking with anyone, it's exclusively on the other person's dime because they're, they're paralyzed, unfortunately. You know, there are a lot of emotional quadriplegics, let alone paraplegics. And to tie your value to getting them to walk with you on the relational road, it's, it's the road to insanity is what it is. And you know, we get all dressed up, so to speak, and think that the conditions will just accommodate our efforts. But that's not how it is. You need to see things at face value, not take it personally, which is very hard. But I talk about it in my book, how to, you know, not take things personally and hug yourself a little tighter, put one foot in front of the other and move on. It's true. It, you, it's hard when you're in it. Yeah. It, but once you kind of like, and I want to say wake up, but that's the only way I could, t I could talk about my own experience of finally, and the only other word I could use is escaping that relationship is I finally just said enough is enough. And mm -hmm. you talked about this too, about cheer. What would you be cheering yourself on to do? And I think you said that once in one of our phone calls of years from now, you're never going to look back at this and say, I wish I would have spent more time in this relationship. Yeah. And it, something clicked in me that day. And it's just like, you're right. And when you're watching those movies, imagine watching a movie with yourself, you'd be cheering yourself on to walk away and not to, and like you even talk about posting these, 
quotes on social media to get back at them. I have a girlfriend who does that all the time. It's so obvious, but you don't need to do any of that gameplay because once you are done, you don't care about the sort of revenge, whether it be on social media or in real life. You just, your revenge is letting go. Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer in revenge. I always get even, but I don't define it in a way that most would think. I take a very detailed inventory of who someone has proven that they are just simply incapable of being. Um, and I become, I, I aim to become all those things. I use the dysfunction. Other people have shown me that they possess that hurts me. And I use that to help me out of my own. And it takes a great deal of self-reflection and I'm no hero by any means, but I have found that that is truly the best revenge because toxic people don't know what to do with indifference. They have literally no idea. And, you know, getting back to that movie example, you look at Leonardo DiCaprio, I don't know how many different dialects and acting and my God, this guy's an incredible actor and he couldn't win an Oscar to save his life for so many years and I never got it. And the first time he won his Oscar, it was for the one movie he just shut up and took action, The Revenant. Uh, I believe that's what it's called. And the best scripts truly have the least amount of words because there is nothing like watching a dynamic character in action. So imagine you were watching the story of your life and what would you be rooting yourself on to do? To take action, to not give a crap about, you know, what, what this person thinks, this, that take dignified action. Not many people can do it. And you set yourself very far from the pack by doing that. And that's how you're able to be the one that got away. Yeah. And it's funny that bit of advice that you gave me, it's not just with the relationships, it's in the habits that I had. And I really ask myself, like, is this moving my story along? Am I going to be proud of myself tomorrow? If I engage in this now. And if it's a no, then it's a no. And, and you know what, that's what gives you such an incredibly inclusive nature. I mean, you could have very well yesterday posted, oh, I'm at, you know, Soho house in Malibu. Here's my martini and oh, great day. But no, you said, Hey, I had an alone day today. I took myself out on a date and this is what I did. And this is how it fulfilled me. And if you are physically alone, you actually need to remind yourself you never are. You're always rolling with your best friend. It's you. And this is the day I had. And I used to not be able to do this. And look at me now. It's awesome. You can do it too. And that's what makes you so successful at what you do because you you know the power of being an accessible, relatable, real person. You're not trying to, you know, get people to emulate you or be envious or, you know, shut anyone out or portray some perfect life because you are at peace with who you are and you know you're in the driver's seat. Even though you may have been primed to perform as a child, you no longer do it in your relationships, first and foremost with yourself. Well, that's, it took God, only 45 years for me to figure that out. I've been there. I mean, I've been in that trap of the toxic relationship where I was just looking for validation. And one thing that I've realized in all these years of therapy, my God, I I actually should have claimed some of my exes on my tax returns for dependence on the amount of therapy I had to do to get over it, but is the only person who really abandoned me was me. And, Mm -hmm. and, and you're right. My, my best friend's always with me and that's me. Why do you think people, and you talk about this in your book, they're the addiction to chaos. Where does that stem from? 
Most likely childhood. It stems from childhood. It also stems from, you know, movies, TV. I, I'm not one of these people that's like, oh, be a victim and finger point at everything. Absolutely not. Um, however, you know, we are wired to want romantic love, hot, cold, up, down, Jekyll, Hyde, yes, no, roller coaster love. And that is chaotic. And, you know, as I said in my book, Johnny Cash sings, because you're mine, I walk the line, not the octagon or quadratic equation. It's a line. True love is linear. It is what, when you have a toxic relationship with yourself, you would classify as boring. It is why nice guys and nice girls, good, the good guys, the good girls, whoever, are classified as, oh, oh but it, it's just kind of boring. They don't really do it for me. Um, it's not that there's anything wrong. It's that we are addicted to chaos. And, you know, if you were given um, conditional love as a child, I don't believe in unconditional love. Um, as far as the adult world goes. And I, I talk about that. Yeah, I actually have that in my note. It says true love is not unconditional. <laughs> and I actually yeah. underlined not three times. Talk exactly. to me about that. I believe, well, I mean, listen, I believe you should love your child unconditionally, your pet, um, you know, the, the elderly. I, I know a lot of people are taking care of older parents, grandparents. Um, but Loving unconditionally in romantic relationships is not healthy. Now, in my relationship, I feel as though it's unconditional, but actually it's not. It just feels unconditional because the conditions are met. Like they're not, right. you know what I mean? Yes. It, it's, it's, it, there's a consistency there. So I, I ne never have to like say, okay, this, this limit's been hit or the other way around. Um, but, you know, unconditional love in regard to things like abuse and manipulation and triangulation and boundary busting, that's not unconditional love. That's self-hate. That's self-inflicted abuse. And um, unconditional love is an absolutely beautiful thing. And it's 100% necessary to have a healthy relationship. You just have to have it for yourself. That's absolutely and right. And as long as you have it for yourself and your partner has it for themselves, your love is going to feel unconditional because those conditions are being consistently on a linear, in a linear kind of way, they're going to be met. Nothing's going to be tested all the time. And when things are tested and boundaries are pushed, um, that's when you get chaotic and then people become addicted to that. Um, and that's not a good thing because think about it this way. As long as things are chaotic, you never really have to take action. You can have a license renewal on inaction and taking action is scary is. because a lot of the times when you take action in relationships, it re results in loneliness. Mm -hmm. yep. You know, um, <laughs> setting standards, implementing non-negotiable boundaries. The result is, is temporary loneliness. You feel very, very lonely. But uh, the reward, it's a lifetime payout. Absolutely. And, it, you know, uh, everybody, mostly, I, I think my listeners know that I'm engaged, but it took a long time for me to find a relationship where I was authentically myself and I was, I felt that unconditional love, but really it's because my needs were being met. But that only, that only actually came into my life when I finally let go of wanting somebody because I was fine by myself and I was 100% happy. And that took a long time because I was addicted to the that sort of movie, like the chaos and the this and the fighting and the making up and the fighting and the making up. And it's crazy. It's crazy behavior. 
I'm yeah, embarrassed. We misdiagnose it for passion. We yes. say, oh, that's just passion. Yes. Well, you know, um, passion has become defined so differently for me now. And I'm I'm so happy you're in such an incredible relationship. Um, because when you when you are able to make peace with yourself, it's it's unbelievable what you can start attracting and just what you just don't even tolerate. And you don't need to like you don't need to be right. You don't need to be heard. You don't need to like speak out, you know, or anything. He just, it's like, no, that doesn't fly with me. That's not cool. Yes. A hundred percent. 10 years ago, I always had to be right. I needed to let everybody know what so-and-so did. And now Mm -hmm. it's just like, oh, that's fine. Like walk away. And I, it's funny. And another friend of mine crossed a boundary with me the other day and I had a very mature relation uh, conversation with them. And I was just matter of factly said, that's not okay with me. I'm not going to put up with that. And it was uncomfortable, the conversation, but I was really proud of myself. And I think once you start creating boundaries, it's like a, a muscle. Once you start doing it, it just gets easier and easier. Would you agree it with does. that? Yeah. 100%. It, it gets, it's a perfect analogy. It's, it's like a muscle. And even if it, that muscle gets a little fatigued or you get a little worn out or you feel a little lonely, you've got muscle memory. You know right. what I mean? And um, boundaries are life-changing. Like I say, it's the difference between a person everyone knows they can use and everyone wants to know. You also talk about the triangulation. And I know that's very common in relationships with narcissists, but just in a toxic relationship, I feel like that's a common denominator. There's always some sort of triangulation, whether it's a family member, a daughter, son, an ex, like a friend. Why does that always happen in toxic relationships? I mean, all I can speak from is myself. Um, I do not have any scholastic, any formal education, training, license, certification. You know, my education has come from my own life experiences. And it's kind of why I use the term toxic, because there's all these psychological terms. Like I said in the book, sometimes people are just shitty. You know, they're just toxic. (laughs) It's true. And the common denominator to anything, sociopathy, narcissism, emotional unavailability, it's toxicity. But, um, you know, getting back to your question in regard to triangulation, it happens so often because we are subconsciously or consciously speaking it out. It's what we, it's all we know. It's what we were exposed to as a child, especially if conditions were put around love that should have been given unconditionally. Um, you know, I, I know with a lot of clients, uh, myself included, um, any children of parents who are immigrants, you know, you're parents work extremely hard to get you into this beautiful country um, with freedoms that they did not have. And they um, expect perfection. They they expect their children, a lot of them, to parent them in a lot of ways, you know, because the kids are getting an education that they didn't have. And there's so many examples. But um, family dynamics are sticky. They're, they're messy. No one had the perfect family. No one had the perfect parent. No one will be the perfect parent. But, um, whether it was between siblings or, you know, carrot dangling with, with unconditional love, so to speak, we, or at school, a school dynamic, there was some point where you were vulnerable and you were voiceless and undefended that you felt like, okay, I've got to like I've got to beat this person to get what I want. I've got to be better. I've got to, you know, get the spotlight back on me. 
And, you know, it's, um, it fits like a perfect puzzle piece The the people that do triangulate on other people, they experience it too. They just had a different psychological reaction to that wound being inflicted. The, and the other thing that you talked about, or that you said that I think is really powerful is that not all toxic people are bad people. And I think the reason why that spoke to me was I remember feeling very bad when I was in that relationship because the person was also calling me every name in the book. But in self-reflection, I'm like, am I that person? Am I bad? But what I did, re- what I realized is sometimes people just bring out the worst in you and that doesn't make them necessarily bad. I'm sure I brought out the worst in that person. And they definitely brought out the worst in me. I did things in that relationship I would never in a million years do to like Dean now or in any Mm -hmm. other relationship. It's just like, it was like almost a monster was created. So is it just that sometimes people trigger each other to be almost in a different personality? Oh gosh, a hundred percent. You know, people get super triggered on social media, people get triggered in relationships. And, um, it's, I take a lot of comfort. I'm, you know, I, I, am not some, I'm not big on self being so self-congratulatory and this and that. I just, I wake up every day to give what I wish I had to other people. But if I was doing some self-inventory, self-reflection, one thing I'm really proud of myself out of all the terrible things I've done, selfish things I've done, we've all done them, is that there is not one person, one issue, one circumstance, one political party, one, I mean, you name it, that could ever trigger me out of my own humanity and empathy. And I see the kindest people sometimes, just amazing, intelligent people. And it's like one little thing and they get triggered. And it's like, whoa, like, where's your decency? Where's your kindness? You know, like, what the heck? You know, but that's how strong um, wounds that were inflicted in the childhood, you know, early adulthood can really be. And toxic people, they're not all bad people. I am not about, I'm not into male bashing. I'm not into bashing or the vilification of anyone. You know, if someone has acted in an evil and terrible way, they do a good enough job of vilifying themselves. I don't need to jump on the bandwagon. Um, And I'm not for this mentality of, oh, they're just so bad. They hurt me. You know, I'm a victim. No, you're actually a survivor because you're still breathing and talking and you might be a victim to, you know, what they did, but you don't have to adopt a victim mentality going forward. And it's okay to say, okay, this isn't a bad person, but they're bad for me. Years ago, I was diagnosed with celiac disease, (laughs) you know, like the doctor told me you can't have gluten. Now, Everything I love has gluten in it. I'm half Italian. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I didn't go on some like anti-gluten propaganda or campaign. I wasn't telling people, oh, don't have gluten if I saw them eat it. I wasn't crying if I saw, you know, donuts or pizza. Um, and I definitely wasn't basing my worth off the fact that there are billions of people on this planet that can eat gluten and not have the reaction that I do. I just had to accept, okay, this is toxic to my system. This may be great for other people. It's not good for me. Right. And that goes for people. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That is a perfect gluten is my toxic ex. (laughs) There you go. You know, it's just toxic for me. So I don't need to say, oh, gluten is just 
a terrible thing for everyone. And that's what a lot of people do, unfortunately, with a lot of things, you know, on social media or, you know, whatever it may be. It's just, it's like, if something triggers you, that's okay. It's not a big deal. You know, you don't like it. Amazing. But you don't need to tell everyone else that, you know, it's not good for them. Right, <laughs> you just need right. to like, and, and that's how you become a dynamic character in your life. You know, dynamic characters, they really, they, they hold their cards to their chest in a dignified way, but they're still accessible. They're kind. They keep to themselves. They take action. If something's not good for them, it's like we don't need to, to educate everyone around us or bring them to the light of everything we know. We can just do what's best for ourselves. And in turn, and subsequently, we end up tr attracting people who do what's best for themselves in a non-selfish way. And then because of that, are able to be capable of mutuality and reciprocity and all of that. That's right. You wrote, your peace will be restored only when you choose to prioritize it. And I know just being on this earth for 45 years and dating, you know, for half of that, is that in the beginning, when you finally stand up for yourself, it it's not going to be easy. Like there it's like a detox. You're going to want to reach out. You're going to want to get closure. You're going to want to get all of those things that actually will lead to nothing. So for anyone who's listening, and I have a few girlfriends of mine who are on the fence of leaving a toxic relationship, what advice would you give somebody who's still in a toxic relationship, who's desperately knowing, because I think we all know that something just ain't right here, and mm -hmm. that it's time. What what sort of advice would you give to somebody who's on the fence? That's a phenomenal question. You know, I would ask them if they're on the fence after they have not to be discussing a bowel movement, whether to flush it or not. <laughs> you know, because ultimately, you know, whether I, you know, flush the toilet or I take the contents of it and put it in a Lalique vase, it's still not going to be useful to me. It's not going to add value to my life. Right. Um, you know, in the instance of the toilet, when you're going to the bathroom and you're done, you don't lose all the matter in the toilet. You win a clean toilet. So if you've acknowledged that someone is toxic to you, just like the gluten, you're not going to ever lose what you think you're going to lose. You're losing the idea of them. You're losing what they represented, which is very hard. And my God, you know, I help people with that every day through my coaching and I try to through my blogs and social media, but you can only win a bullshit free life. You can only win your peace. You yep. can only win a clean relational toilet. You can't, there's no losses in that situation. Uh, absolutely. And the moment someone can get to that, then they can act on it in a, in a form of self-love and not like, oh, I'm going to break up with, you know, this person. So then they react and they get jealous and then there's more chaos that ensues. Right. I, I know from my personal experience that letting, finally letting go of those relationships, when I was in them, the amount of anxiety I had, I had stomachache problems. Some, you know, like I, I looked horrible. Sometimes I would be late for work because I was just so distraught. I remember sometimes being in yoga and having to walk out to check my phone. Like it was this chaos that I was kind of in. And mm -hmm. what I realized, it, ne it never got better. And when I finally said, goodbye. When I finally said enough was enough, my life 1000% got so much better, even though in the beginning it was hard because you're so used to the chaos. Again, it's like getting you know that detox out, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. I promise you, and Natasha's here, she can promise you like it, your life can only get better because it is just pure chaos now. 
exactly. You know, it's just this addiction to everything around you bouncing around so you don't have to take action because you're so exhausted from the chaos. Like there's always something going on that you have to decipher and figure out and, you know, do a forensic analysis on. Um, So (laughs) you don't don't take action. And I did this even with writing the book, how much I procrastinated because I was so scared. And so I would make things really chaotic. I would not that like I was living in chaos, but I would, you know, really, really, really amp up my schedule. And it's like, oh, I've got so much going on. I can't do this, you know, and (laughs) that's just part of being human. But if you're able, if anyone listening is just able to recognize an ounce of what you've said of what I said and look in the mirror and say, okay, I possess that too. Like Natasha does, like Sabrina does. I mean, you just set yourself in a class of your own because not many people can introspect independent of just berating themselves and punishing themselves and sabotaging themselves. It's okay to say, all right, like this is, I I have this quality. It's not healthy. I'm going to work on it. You know, if you go to the doctor and they find, um, I don't know, you go to the doctor, they find a little fibroid. You're not going to just say, okay, I want a hysterectomy, you know, take everything out. You're going to say, okay, what are my options? Like, what can I do? They said, you don't just berate and punish yourself because you have qualities that you're ashamed of and you don't take any experiences you've gone through relationally as an irrefutable definition of your worth. You can take it as just that an experience to learn and grow from, you know, every day I wake up, I just try to be a better person. I I really, I, I don't think I'll ever wake up and say, okay, I'm there. I'm at the top of the mountain and I don't want to. No, I just try to be a better human being, um, kinder, less hypocritical, less critical on myself, you know, Um, and we're all just doing our best. But when people are in pain and they have undealt with trauma, like I said, men aren't the problem. Women aren't the problem. People, you know, it's there's not a certain type of person that's the problem. The problem is undealt with trauma. The problem is selfishness. The problem is self-hatred that is acted on. And when you have trauma that you have not healed, um, you're either going to accept abuse or you're going to inflict it or you're going to vacillate between the two. And that's chaotic and life is short. Hurt people hurt people. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And it is a healing is just, it's a never ending journey. My sister said something to me the other day. I was going to therapy and she's like, haven't you done enough already? Shouldn't you be healed? It's like, no, it's not how it works. Like I am constantly evolving and there's new things that I'm learning about myself. And it's, you have to be gentle on yourself too. And that's another thing that I've learned throughout this journey. And one thing that I do know is I know it sounds crazy if you're going through this breakup now, or if you're thinking about it, one day you will be grateful for all of this chaos because you will heal from it and you will be so much stronger and wiser and such a better person because of it, because it pushed you to find that healing, to find yourself again. And you will thank your ex for for forcing that upon you. Oh, yeah. I mean, you'll look back at your ex and just laugh. 
You know? I do. I do. And I laugh at the things that I did. I'm like, oh my God, if, <laughs> if only anybody knew <laughs> the oh, craziness. <laughs> oh, same here. I mean, it's just, it, it's wild, but you know, we've it, all done it's it. Ultimately your, your choice. It's your choice. If you want to keep the pattern of gen- generational trauma going and dysfunction, or if you want to say the buck stops here and um, it's scary And this is, you know, a very daunting thought to think of, but really in a few decades, it'll go faster than we can even blink. Everyone we know and love is going to be ashes or six feet under. That's right. It's not going to matter who walked away with the quote unquote power. It's not going to matter, you know, what kind of closure you got or didn't get. It's not going to matter if you messed up. What's going to matter is that you went for it in regard to the self-love that you deserve and you got out of your own thoughts you got out of your own self-obsession of i'm not enough i'm not enough and stop making decisions based on viewing life through that filter natasha thank you so much for anyone i will have her book it's called win your breakup how to be the one that got away it's available for pre-order it's out when natasha it's out March 22nd, 3-22-22. Okay, perfect. And you could also find her on her blog, which I will put in the notes section. Natasha, you are a rock star in my like in my eyes. You're amazing. You've helped me so much. You've helped my friends so much through your blog. So I appreciate you being here. Oh, I just love and appreciate you so much. Thank you for having me on. And I could not be happier for you and just the incredible place you're in in your life and you're such an inspiration to so many people thanks natasha